You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Now that heart is beating fast And that's the rhythm I can dance to I'm mighty glad I've got a chance to That one big heart that's beating fast Tomorrow morning let it rain Tomorrow morning, let it pour. Tonight we're in the groove together. Ain't gonna worry about stormy weather. Gonna kick all trouble out the door. Beat out old trouble and drum. Beat out old trouble and drum. Beat out old and kick all trouble out the door Beat me that rhythm on the drum Beat me that rhythm on the drum Beat me that rhythm on the drum And kick all trouble out the door Kick him 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 out the door Well, aren't we fortunate here on Radical Australia? Kelly has struck the legendary mm-hmm, Lassiter's mm-hmm. Reef. She's put her hand in the barrel and pulled out a living legend, Marissa Sposaro. Hello, Marissa. Hello. Wasn't that... You weren't impressed with that introduction? I'm not sure. <laughs> What's wrong with being a living legend? <laughs> At least you're not Shane Warne. You know, you're a living legend, you're not a dead legend. Not yet. Not yet. Well, who says... Don't, don't, don't be negative. <laughs> you're worse. <laughs> yeah. Are you nervous, Marissa? No, I'm not nervous. How would she be oh, nervous good, than good. me? She's known me for over no, two decades. No, I'm not nervous. Good. Far from it, actually. Exactly. She knows She knows how to handle me, unlike most of the people I we do interview. know how to handle you, Joe. Oh, exactly, yeah. You same, same, cultural, same cultural background. Same political background. It's a bit of a worry, you know. It is indeed. Talking to you. That's why I called you a living legend. And why is that? Because you are. Because I can deal, because, because I can deal with you. No, no, because, yes, because you right. are. <laughs> I'm a living legend because, because I can deal with the famous Joe Toscano. No, you can deal with megalomaniacs. <laughs> Putin, Toscano, you name it. You can deal with them. Now, Marissa, I've always had a lot of respect for you, and I don't have much respect for most people, really? as you know. Yeah, I have, I have, because you you just continue to be an activist despite all the setbacks that happened. I'm, uh, and I find that extraordinary, to be honest, because most people just fall by the wayside. Hmm. Well, yes and no. Oh, no, 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 you're, you're a... Talking about. No, you're a star. You know, you know, you know. In the activist world, there's meteorites and stars. People who want to change the world, and twelve months later, they're totally burnt out. And people it who can pa- happen, yes. Yeah, and people who pace themselves like you do. Now, Marissa, I, I know this is an embarrassing question, but uh, just to orientate our listeners, what year were you born in? I don't really want to answer. <laughs> well, what decade were you born in? <laughs> I was born in the decade of the referendum. You know when they did the yeah. Aboriginal people? The, yeah. the Aboriginal people. Yeah. I don't have my notes in front of me at the moment about that, but in regards to how they wanted the Aboriginal people to vote. Yep. 
yep. and other issues. Yeah, you look, know how the Aboriginal yeah. people were excluded. Yeah, well, it was an interesting referendum, if you yes, because it wasn't about that. The referendum was to take the power from the state. Correct. To the federal government, and that's you beat me to it exactly. Yeah, yeah, well, you knew it. It's anyway. a very far-reaching topic, which exactly. would actually take a whole show. Yeah, and, and obviously, um, you should have been born the year after in 1968. <laughs> <laughs> You're such a smartass, Joe. <laughs> a rebel like you, you should have been born in 68. Now, where were you born? In Australia. Where? Melbourne. Where? Hospital, I think. Where, where else would I be born? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. You don't even know Queen what hospital. Queen Victoria, I think. Queen Victoria, the old Jesse McPherson. That's it. Yeah, yeah. My uh, first child was born at Jesse McPherson. Then you can tell us what happened to Jesse McPherson, can't you? No, I don't know. Don't ask me quick, trick questions like that. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't know about all the older activists. All right. I'm not that old. Yeah. Are your parents still alive? They are. Uh, what type of parents were they? You can't say rude things for they're alive. I don't want to be Well, sick. I've got to be careful because in the Italian culture, you yes, know. Yeah, I know. It's all about image mm. and I've got to watch myself because... La bella, like, la bella figura. La bella figura, that's right. <laughs> what does that mean? It's all about image. You image. Know, it's about having the plastic... What people think. Yeah, it's about having the plastic over the couch in the front room and never using the front room except for guests. You, yeah, you know exactly. That. Exactly. exactly. You know, that's what I'm saying. Same cultural background. Look, was it a normal Italian type of upbringing? You know, Australia Italian upbringing. You got to be educated. You got to do this. You got to do that to get ahead in life. Look, I think it was a bit different mm -hmm. because of the fact that I, I don't think my parents. They look. They were very hard workers, mm -hmm. but they didn't really value education in some ways. I don't think they knew. Right. Although my mother did want to be a teacher and she wasn't allowed. Um, she had an arranged marriage at 15. Mm. So that was quite, you know, difficult for her. But I think it was more about working hard. I was the only person that went to university right. in the family. Not that it matters. It doesn't mm. matter. You know, everybody's different. Mm. So what did your brothers and sisters end up doing? Um, crane, I think working in the crane, builders, mm. very valued work. What well, is very skilled work? I mean, we, what we do doesn't really matter, but what skilled people do does matter. It's important. Because it has consequences if they don't do it right. Exactly, there wouldn't be any houses. You're kidding. There's no equal housing for everybody these days anyway, so... No, nah, of course not. You know, you got don't. a lot of homeless people out there. Uh, well, the thing is not to trip over them. That's the key. How's that okay, for an Joe. insensitive joke? So it is comedy week. It is comedy week, all right? That's... Comedy week? Yeah, a comedy <laughs> month. Why don't you go to the Sicilian club and do a comedy strip? <laughs> Which one? Do they have a Sicilian club? Are you no, no, they have the Toscano club. I mean, you, just... know, you better be careful. I'll be interviewing you. <laughs> That's all right, I don't mind. <laughs> so, where did you go to school initially? I went to a school for the blind right. for, for six years. Mm -hmm. 
and it was really, really good school in many ways. It was, although it was a Catholic school, so that was quite difficult for me. We had to go to mass every Thursday, and I believe also that there was a uh, um, a couple of priests, one priest there in particular who's since died. It's, in mm. the, it's on the news. It's no secret yep. who was a pedophile. Right. I never liked that priest anyway. Mm. I didn't go near him, but. Mm. Um, but yeah, so the school was like, it taught Braille, it was, it wasn't a bad education, but when I got to around year five, I wanted to go to a a regular school. I was bored. Mm -hmm. Too much, uh, like, I just read books all day because the, the education was, was good, but it wasn't, it wasn't challenging. So, obviously, so I said that I wanted to go to a normal school, and I did, a regular school. So who organised that, your parents or the brain? No, no, no. Oh. No, my parents didn't know how. They mm. they had very little English, mm. so, because obviously we were migrants. That, they were their migrants that came out from Italy. Mm. And when I went to I went to high school and finished my, my schooling, um, at Mercy College, they wanted a Catholic school upbringing mm-hmm. for me. It made me very, even more rebellious. How hard? Rebellious. How, how, how hard is it to be blind and rebellious in, in school? It's very well, not just in school. In, no, in I'm just every, saying initially in school because it's you know it's not easy. Oh, I didn't find it hard at all. <laughs> You're natural. It wasn't hard at all. I just um, talked to, to, had all my friends, and I Uh, used to walk from class to class mm. at that time with a Braille typewriter. Right. So, and we used to have a lot of fun, actually. They'd say, oh, look, look, you know, bump into that teacher. They'd say. (laughs) (laughs) And we'd be giggling at the back of the class. I'd always be in trouble. Right. Um, Yeah. So natural... Born troublemaker. Well, we have to be. Well, yeah. Well, you got to you got to create your space, don't you? Absolutely. Mm. Did Whether you, f- you can see or not. Yeah. Did you find it difficult creating a, a space for yourself in a in high school? No, I didn't. Right. I didn't. Um, I was just myself, and mm-hmm. it, it was difficult with the textbooks because a lot of that time, and it still hasn't changed today. Although. With the blindness organisations, they're always promoting Braille literacy, but really there's not much Braille literacy there. They say you, you can have a preferred format. You know, a lot of people have to be reading audio. Mm. Well, they don't have to, but they say it's cheaper. At school, I got all my textbooks Brailled, right. and it was pretty much on time. I had a really good relationship with the Braille transcribers back then. But then when everything became more privatised and they started... Um, a lot of the twists and turns around government funding and up and down with all that type of policy, I um, ended up having to have everything on audio at university. And that was really hard. Mm-hmm. And actually, that was one of the reasons why I got into radio, because the difficulties that I had accessing proper texts and proper books and being able to read what I wanted and learn what I want... I, and this was many years later. I'm, I'm sorry. I know I'm jumping ahead. Joe, no, that's but, fine. No, no, no. But no. I feel it's like I need interview. to make this comment. It's, it's your interview, so you, you go yeah, where no, you want it's, to. It's kind of like with 3CR, mm. it, it actually offered me 
really fabulous opportunities to be able to develop um, as a as a person because you know when you can't see you are not given that level of information and there there is censorship in regards to what is brailled whether whether the blindness organisations believe that or not it's better now it is a lot better for example there are more books now written by indigenous authors which is fantastic but it's still a problem to get the literature that you want and back then um, as a young adult uh, I was really happy to be listening to 3CR because they had stuff about activism they had stuff about environmental issues they had yeah. all the metal music that I love you know I love going to metal gigs and um, punk music and stuff like that and they had all everything mm-hmm. that I could ever want to learn about so yeah that's that I just wanted to let you know that's why I got into radio to be to be a, I felt like I had the best education through 3CR really right. well, we'll be sending you the bill for that you realize that. <laughs> I'll speak to Loretta tomorrow when she comes in and see. we'll yeah, work yeah. out how much you owe us what do you reckon God, millions, I think. <laughs> well, I want to go back to the very, very early stages because obviously you've you've told us you're blind. Uh, were you born blind? Yes. So, can you tell us? I know this is very difficult, but I, I want to be able to get people to understand what was it like in the very early stages as a very young person, you know, under five. You know, it's interesting. I do remember a lot about my childhood. A lot of people have, have blocked out their childhood. Mm. But I think as a little girl under five, I do remember quite a lot. And I I do remember that I used to love to run. And I would run and run and run. And sometimes I'd fall down the stairs and sometimes I wouldn't. But I'd pick myself up and say, oh, well, that's all right. And I'd keep going. And then also... I used to look at all these, all the print books in the house and I'd pick up a book and I'd say, why can't I read that? And I'd hold it in my hand and I'd go through the pages and I'd say, I'm going to school. Mm-hmm. I want to go to school. I want to go to school. And I don't know why, but I clearly remember this so well. And I even wanted to go to kindergarten. And I... I'm not sure if my mother ever remember this, probably not, but I badgered her so badly, I bugged her so badly, I was about four, mm. that she actually took me down to the kindergarten. She said, see, you didn't get in, because said, there's no room. <laughs> there's no room, there's no room, but I don't think it was, there was I think there was room. Right. Uh, that's interesting. So, did, uh, yeah. Did you, did you speak Italian at home when you were young? Oh, you had to, no, you, you wasn't allowed what was it, a di- was it a dialect or was it actually Italian? No, 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 it was a dialect. I learned Italian at school. Right. So what was the dialect? Calabresi. Calabresi. Do you, um, you have ever had any contacts with your grandparents or they all died by the time you were born? Oh, they're all, they've all passed away now, mm. but I had a lot to do with my grandparents. Right. They came here to Australia, did they? Oh, yes. And what were they like? They were, they were interesting. They were interesting people. Mm-hmm. I had I had a lovely time in many ways because I by them, but very old school, mm. very old school people. You know, my grandfather on my mother's side was in the World War, yep. Second World War. Yep. So 
very traditional Italian food, very old school. Mm. Nothing wrong with that? No. No. Well, yes or no. Yes or no. So when did you start learning English? I learned English properly when I was at school. I, did, I didn't know any English at all right. up until the age of five. Yeah, you're like me. People don't understand that English is our second language. It is, and there are times where I still feel like I don't belong. Why is that? I still feel like I don't belong in Why? this country. Why? Uh, it comes out mostly when I'm in groups, like when I'm in... And it's not even about Australian people. It's not about that. It's mm. it, it, like, like it, it can even be a mixed group of different different nationalities. Mm. And it's like I, I sometimes think to myself, you know what, I don't fit in here. And it's got nothing to do with the blindness. Mm. I conquered that a long time ago. Mm. I decided early on that I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to be with just blind people. Yes. Because it was too insular. It was too narrow. Well, that was fundamental, was that? was a fundamental choice you made, which has um, obviously had a profound impact on who you are and what you've done. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's like my late wife. She didn't want to be an Indigenous artist. She wanted to be an artist, so she actually found a mainstream gallery. You know, Beautiful. You know, same yeah, concept yeah. that you don't want to be it's pigeonholed. You don't want to be pigeonholed because of something that physically yeah, well, you, that just, you are. You don't want to be know? a token in tokenism. Yeah, yeah. So you said you went to university. What did your parents think about that? Oh, they were very proud. Right, that's good. One of the few things that they're proud about. But they <laughs> oh, you're going to end up in the gutter one day. What are you doing? You know, doing interviews about these Aboriginal people. And, yeah. you know, you're always going travelling. And you, you're with these Aboriginal people. You know, they, 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 you know, they drink too much, you know. Yeah. You're going to end up in the gutter with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Old school, old school. They're just, they're just reflecting the opinions. Like they're reflecting the opinions Correct. around them. That's all they were doing. Because they, right. they wouldn't have known what an Aboriginal person was when they came here. No, they, they didn't know any better. Yeah. I don't, they didn't know. No. How were they going to know? Yeah, yeah. And those attitudes improved over time, by the way. Yeah, of course but, they do, once you know. Because people don't understand how insular it is being an immigrant. You can't speak the language. You don't know the culture. You've got to work from morning till, till, till night, to dusk, to pay the bills it's very difficult to actually it is extremely difficult the food is different like mm. even when i went to school they had these awful school dinners you know modeled with the in the you know how in england they have school dinners and they yes. have that here at the school for the blind there right and i <laughs> and i vomited every day <laughs> what'd you have bread and butter pudding <laughs> no it was all this gross it was beef but it was all fatty it was oh, like yeah. And fatty vegetables, and I actually started a campaign at school, actually, in primary school for the blind, yeah. and all the day students, we were all allowed to have lunch, bring our own lunch. Oh, excellent. On the boarding school, um, the children in the boarding school stayed at the table. Yeah, but did the other children now vomit at your food? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's sad, really. <laughs> did you bring in the cheese and salami sandwiches? <laughs> the cheese and salami sandwiches, schnitzels. <laughs> Um, fish. Yeah, yeah. yeah people look at me and say, what food's that? Because <laughs> they all have their squares of, you know, Vegemite sandwiches, yeah. peanut butter. Yeah. yeah. Well, these days you're eating gourmet food. Five-star gourmet food. People pay Absolutely. good money for it, you know, especially mm -hmm. that, that uh, Calabrese cheese. God, that's brilliant. 
Yeah. I like your gannoli, though. Yeah. You realise that in Catania there is one cake shop for every 600 Catanians. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Oh, wow. And the spingy? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but they're, they're like the donuts. So you went to uni. What did you do apart from become a, a nuisance? I should have really have done journalism. Right. Um, but... I start, look, I did the Bachelor of Arts course, Bachelor of Arts bugger all. I did a lot of partying back then. All right. Um, and then I passed, though. And then we did, I did so, a degree of social work, mm-hmm. social work degree, Bachelor of Social Work. And I worked in the field for about five to six years. Right, tell us about dread- it. What type of, when you said in the field, what type of work were you doing and who were you doing Most it for? dreadful experience I've ever had in my life, but mm. I worked in child protection, I've right. worked um, juvenile justice, um, I've also worked in a hospital, doing hospital social work, and mostly I worked in foster care. Mm. Why was it foster dreadful? Care? Why did you use the word dreadful? Well, it was, it was horrible. Like, it was... The clients were great. Mm. Um... I think it was because, look, it was extremely difficult with the management and staff because they really didn't know how to how to work with with a person that was blind. And it, look, if I had if I was content to just have had a desk job and just taken phone calls, I think it would have been fine. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to go out on home visits the same way that I that they did, and I wanted to do everything with them. And they'd say, "Oh no, you can't do that." And I said, "Well, I'm doing it anyway." Um, so I ended up having a job in jeopardy thing slapped on me. <laughs> is that is that like getting your first notice that you're going to get the boot? Absolutely. Mm. And But to be fair, um, there was also quite a lack of technology back then. Right. So all I had then was a talking computer and a braille embosser. Braille embossers are very noisy things and, and you actually have to... The, the computer would, would translate translate that into braille so i just had a, a voice program which i which i despised and so my writing was atrocious at first because i simply wasn't very good at at listening to things i mean i fall asleep when i listen to a book you know you've got a lot of blind people that you know they they you know i've got my light perception you know mm. so i can see light and dark mm. i can see shadows right. so i think what i'm trying to say is that back then there was a terrible lack of technology and I didn't even have a diary. So I used to memorise all my appointments. And so I had to work a lot harder than other people. And then you had, you actually had your, some social workers, that people that were extremely supportive, but then you had the ones that didn't want me there either. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and of course, also, like, not so much now, but back then, I used to love going out constantly going out. I had to be out all the time. And I had to make a statement. I had to, because other blind people would say, oh, you you should stay home like us. You know, you, you can't find your way around a, a nightclub by yourself, so I'd go out in a nightclub and do it. You know? <laughs> and one day, the people at work, they actually found um, a taxi receipt that I had, and I, three o'clock in the morning, um, coming home from a St Kilda pub, right? Mm. So what they did was they presented it to the manager and they tried to accuse me of being an alcoholic. Right. And, which I wasn't. <laughs> you were just a drug addict. You weren't an alcoholic. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it's okay for people that can see the party. 
Mm. But not people that are blind. People that are blind, you know, need to stay home, mm. you know. Mm. So they tried to use it as evidence for me to go, but really it was more about the blindness, you know. So I got a lawyer and I actually went to the regional manager and I said, well, can, you know, it's, it's really not very good what's going on. Let's discuss it. So they left me alone after that. Right. And then I left of my own accord. I just resigned myself mm. when I was ready. Do you, do you, how important in that type of work are the visual cues when you're dealing with a client? I think that's really that's that's a really important question. I think really in some cultural backgrounds you don't even need eye contact. And I think with, when you when you're making assessments, you know, of child maltreatment, there are so many other things that you can use. You can use your smell. You can use, um, you know, your your verbal skills to diffuse conflict. You can you can look at. Um, I, I'm very good at getting information out of people and, and I, people trust me and they trusted me back then and if they had abused someone, they would tell me. Mm-hmm. Simple as that. And, um, and, and in fact, Joe, I'm glad you drew attention to that because I think at uni they actually tried to fail me because the, the, one of the tutors mm-hmm. because she thought that I wouldn't be able to do the social work with, without the eye contact. But I got out of social work. I mean, social work is just an upper-class bullshit thing, really, to be honest. It's, it's just a Band-Aid. I got out of it, and I'm now doing, doing natural therapy and herbal medicine, and I'm doing radio broadcasting. And if, if I could have my life over again, I'd be studying journalism. Mm. Well, you can, you know. Yeah, I still could. You could. You could. You, you know, you're born yeah, in 67. Not too late. You're not, not as old as I am. I'm 70 now, you know. You are not. Yes, I am. I'm Are you seventy? I'm seventy. Where was my birthday card? What date were you born? November. November the what? Very uh, vague about that. Uh, look, Marissa. there's a lot of people out there who you know would love you, to know my birthday, right? and then they would <laughs> track a few things. He's I've a Scorpio. He's you a... won't get it out of him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of inappropriate questions I want to ask you. I'm sure Asia knows it. Oh, I'm sure they do. <laughs> Look, you haven't got an Asia record. You're nobody. No, no. You realise that you're nobody. Look no, at I'm Kelly. Nobody. She, she, she's, no, she's a nobody. She hasn't got I'm a Asia record. You know, no, you're legendary. You're not famous. There's a difference yeah. between legendary and famous. If you're famous, well, it's legendary. It means you're a legend in other people's eyes. Famous, you're famous in your own eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, 3CR listeners. I'm Giselle Hanna from Accent of Women and Asia Pacific Currents, and I'm appealing to you to subscribe to 3CR to keep radical voices on air. I've been a volunteer and broadcaster at 3CR for over 20 years, and I can say categorically that radical voices like ours that bring you stories of extraordinary, incredible women from across the world leading grassroots struggles, well, those voices just aren't welcome in the mainstream media. You won't hear about the struggle against Samsung's human rights abuses against its workers in South Korea. You won't hear about the plight of the Myanmar resistance against the coup on any other station, at least not the way we tell it here at 3CR. So be a comrade and go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 94198377. You're listening to Radical Australia on 3cr.org.au. 
This program is also podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. The program can be heard directly from 3CR 855 on your AM dial. My name's Joseph Toscano. I'm the host of today's program. Now, getting, getting back to you, so what... Was there a specific instance that made you think that uh, social work is just a load of uh, upper-class bullshit, or it just dawned on you? I mean, I shouldn't have said it quite like that. I no, mean, I no. just mean that it's a bit of a band-aid. Yeah. I just found it really boring. I just think that case management is... It, it just wasn't for me. I wasn't just decided it wasn't for me. Yeah. And that Well, it is tedious. It is tedious. Oh, look, I'll let you into a, a, a secret. Well, it's mm. not really a secret, but mm. one of the reasons why I actually left social work is because I wanted, wanted to join the Forest Blockades. Right. So I, I just wanted to go down to East Gippsland and do my bit for the environment. And I still am doing my bit for the environment. I just haven't been to East Gippsland for a while, but I'd like to do that again. And look, it's the best thing I ever did because, you know, I met a lot of people there, anarchist, um, different social, different um, political persuasions. Mm. And I've never looked back. Right. Look, you, you, you found your freedom. It's that simple. You escape wage slavery. No, you escape working for somebody else. Obviously, you're now self-employed. You wouldn't be working for somebody else. And it it does have its positives. Yeah, I'd rather not talk about my work on air, though. No, no, that's fine. I don't want to talk about your work on air because I know know you work with a lot of disrespectful people, you know. Absolutely. Yeah, you know know what it's like. (laughs) (laughs) We won't go there. No, no. No, no, but I'm just just saying... um, when you're working for an institution, there's a lot of uh, inhibitions because you, you need to maintain that work. You can't speak publicly. You can't do things. You can't That's be an exactly activist. Right. And obviously when you left, um, can you tell us that first day you, you went, you arrived at the blockade? I'm sorry, what was that? The first day you arrived at the blockade. Oh, I felt like I'd come home. Why is that? Because the this was what it was Gulengook where mm-hmm. I went, and I believe it's still protected. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's very it's probably very different now because all the bushfires burnt out a lot of forest, and there's been a lot of development. But when I went down to that, actually, to be really technical, my first day in East Gippsland, Gippsland was just prior to the blockade. I was helping out with some um, surveying, mm-hmm. but. Um, it's kind of, the water was clean. You could actually drink from the river, and there were so many beautiful, beautiful birds, wildlife, and the forest was was thick. It was really, really thick. What was but it? I did upset some of the blockaders actually because I. <laughs> <laughs> Who I, haven't you upset? <laughs> I upset a lot of people. <laughs> But they thank me for it in the end. Because yeah. I used to like to go and talk to the loggers yeah. and to see what their view, point of view was. Like mm. Judy Barry used to. Mm-hmm. Judy Barry? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And, uh, but yeah, it was, in answer to your question, like it, it, it was pristine. Mm. Pristine. What's it like, and again, again, this is an inappropriate question, but that's what Radical Australia is about. Here we go. <laughs> What's it like? For a, somebody who's blind, when uh, they're touched by the 
leaves and the sticks and the natural environment? Is there is there a heightened sense of sensibility? Do you develop a heightened sense of uh, sensitivity? Not really. Not really. No. I mean, you can you obviously you're using your senses a lot more. Mm. I think what what a lot of people say is, oh, but why do you go? Why do you travel? Why do you go sightseeing? You can't see. Mm. You can't see the actual what things look like. And I think a lot of vision impaired people fall into that trap of thinking that, you know, they're travelling but they're missing out. I don't really see it as missing out. It's it's just a different experience. Mm. And you, you, you know, you're feeling the vibe of it. You're feeling, you can touch things. You can, um, you're able to hear. Mm. Do you, you said you've done a lot of travelling. Anything stick in your mind? Well, I hitchhiked around north, uh, far north Queensland by myself. Right. How old were you then? I would have been in my late 20s. He was got an attractive young woman hitchhiking by herself, minimal sight, if any, in north Queensland. You know, this is this is crocodile country, and I'm talking about the human beings, not Indeed. the crocodiles. And, and actually, I think <laughs> we, we ended up in some swamp ones, and there were crocodiles. It was scary. <laughs> But, um, yeah, I did. I, I actually... And I used to hitchhike from the Block 8. I went from Orbos to Canberra one time. Oh, that's um, safe. That's safe. But that's, that's pretty safe. But, yeah, but, yeah around, around Queensland, I went from Melbourne to Cairns, mm. and I went on my own for a lot of it. And, and I d- went with somebody else at one stage, and we used to fight over what cars to get into because they'd <laughs> say, nah, that person's right. I'd say, no way. Are you, are you kidding? I'm not getting in there. <laughs> He's scratching his balls. <laughs> and he had a look and he actually was. I'm, like, I'm not getting into a car like that. <laughs> I could actually hear it. <laughs> He's getting and ready. Was, and, and my friend said to me, you know what, Marissa, you're right. He actually is. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I don't want to get it. You know, so, so it was really interesting. There was a truck once. So I actually went from, um, let's see, this was... this on the way to Cairns because I was actually working on a remote um, Aboriginal community where there, there was some, it was, they called it juvenile justice, it was right. a program, um, as a volunteer, which was awful. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, when, when I, went, I was in this car and I think the guy had mental health issues and he was talking to me about his problems, but I could tell that he was going to be, he was going to sleaze. And so right. when we got we, we got somewhere and he said he had to stop, so I got out of the car and I thought, you know what, I'm not I'm not coming going back in there. And I went and I, I was I was using my cane. I, I thought I'm going to fold up my cane because I don't want to look like I'm attracting attention. Mm-hmm. And so I went and hid behind a tree, right? <laughs> so I was walking on and I was going, Marissa, Marissa, and he'd be uh, and he didn't find me. And I thought, great, he's blinder than me. <laughs> so, so he got back into his car. And then I went out from behind the tree. I found my way back to the freeway, and I was and I thumbed lift, and I got the best trucky ever. Mm-hmm. So you've just got to have your wits about me, and I, you know, and it, it, this really was hilarious. I have to tell you this one because <laughs> I had bought some potatoes. This was when I was living in Melbourne, and I had this this little this bag of potatoes, and there was this. It was prior to to when I was going to hitch was it to the to the job interview there. Mm-hmm. Um, up near Cairns, and this woman helped me on the tram, and she was saying, "Oh, it's so wonderful that you're blind and you're getting out. <laughs> oh, this is just so amazing." 
So I thought, I'm going to shock her. Right? So I said, oh, well, I'm going to be hitching, hitchhiking to around northern Queensland tomorrow. I said, it's already beginning. I left my potatoes on the tram. So what she did was, back then it was a Royal Victorian Institute for the Blind, she dropped the potatoes off at the Blind Institute and then she went and told them that I was going to be hitchhiking, right? <laughs> then they rang my mother, right? <laughs> and they were saying to me, Marissa, what do you think you're doing? You know, this is a disgrace. You know, you're going to be hitchhiking and they would not let me I was banned from talkback radio I was banned from any doing any interviews there because that would actually affect you know how much money was going to come in right, right. people don't want to donate you know to people like me you know that <laughs> so Look, I'm, was, happy to, I'm happy to sling five bucks your way it's all right it was hilarious it was hilarious it was, and I just laughed I thought you know what so and I wanted to tell that story because you know, I don't know. It's, it's interesting. So, uh, your hitchhiking experiences, did it teach you anything about people? Oh, absolutely. People. But there is one thing that I had to do to conquer fear. Conquering fear about walking in open spaces, conquering fear about developing spatial concepts because you have a lot of a lot of vision blind and vision impaired people that some of them not all that are scared to walk okay so mm. i wanted to do that for me to, that i could survive i used to have these terrible nightmares before hitchhiking that i would be left alone in the world and there'd be no one to help me and i don't have those nightmares anymore because i know i can help myself at any time and yes i did learn about people it was um back then you know, and even now, you've got some wonderful people out there. You know, I had a um, a guy who was a miner, and he he actually took me back. You know how they had the dongers? Yep. In the uh, up near nice, out, nice. outside of Cairns, a little mining town. Mm. And he said, oh, "I'll have the floor. You can have the bed, but I'm going to end up in your bed." And I said, "No, you're not." <laughs> so <laughs> we were, and then in the morning, he said to me, "You know," he said, "You've got a bit of class." He said, "You didn't sleep with me," and I said, "No." I said, "I just want, wanted a lift." <laughs> There was nowhere to sleep. Right. <laughs> and he took me to breakfast and he introduced me to everybody and he, you know, he got someone, a, a woman to, to come and help me, you know, find a shower. Mm. So these are just things that I believe, you know, people will say to me, oh, you're, you're very silly, Marissa, you know, you could have got yourself into a lot of trouble. Mm. You know, you, you, you would have asked for it if, you, if something had happened to you. And you know what? I don't do it anymore because I don't feel like I need to. Right. It was for me. Mm. It wasn't for my family. It wasn't for my friends. It was for me. If I want to, I can do it again. Right. And I'd be safe. Mm. But it was for me. Have you ever found yourself overseas? Or your travelling is mainly in Australia? No, I've got, I had no desire to travel overseas, to be perfectly honest. Mm -hmm. it, it, I really, I don't, I've got, I don't need to. I did go to Hawaii, um, and I, I did live in America for three years. My God. Um, and how, how did you survive? Oh, it was great. Like, it was I great. Used to have the <laughs> Where'd you go? Where did you go? What, little, <laughs> what part of America did I you go to? I got involved a little bit with the Black Panther movement oh. um, and did some work with the Bloods and... Mm -hmm. Um, cop watch, like I used to catch the train into LA, ran there, mm -hmm. and you know was hooked up with a few collectives over there. So, so you hooked up with the other America? Yeah. Yeah. 
The activist America. Yeah, yeah, the other America, I call it. Yeah, not the America that we're all familiar with, the Hollywood mm. America. Right. So when did you first come into 3CR? Um, I, you know, I don't know. I think it might have been in my 30s. Michael Smith trained me. Michael? Oh, a legend, legend. He was a legend. Now, he was a legend. Mm. And so he's passed now, as people yes. would be aware. But yes. Mm. Wonderful trainer. Yeah. So he taught you everything you know. Yeah. Unlike me. <laughs> <laughs> so, Are you editing this? No. <laughs> I don't even know where the buttons are. Oh. <laughs> I, I'm like you, I think I've uh, worked out this, uh, the secret of success. Surround yourself with talented young people. You can't go wrong, you know. That's exactly right. Yeah, it's I'm pretty amazing. It's a pretty amazing. There's lots of talented young people here at 3CR, which amazes me every time I walk in here because I expect to be, you know, everybody be my age, you know, old cronies. But we're, yeah. we're dying off and there's young people coming in. So what shows have you been involved with? Well, I was involved with Undercurrents. Mm-hmm. It's no longer a show now, but it was a current affairs show. I've also been involved with Accent of Women, um, Breakfast Show for a while, um, the Doing Time Show mostly, but I was involved with Sewer Show quite a long time ago now. Um, yeah. And uh, what are you doing at the minute? Oh, I'm just doing the Doing Time Show at the moment. Doing Time Show. That's all. So, so what, what do you mean, that's all? Well. That's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I don't think people understand that there is a lot of work involved in radio. No, there is. It's, a, it's an hour every Monday. Yeah. So. Yeah. And what do you concentrate on? Aboriginal deaths in custody, looking at prisoners' rights, looking at asylum seeker and refugees in detention, and looking also at stolen generations. So I, I really like to interview elders and, and hear their stories. Mm-hmm. I like history, so I like looking at the Aboriginal massacres. But I also look at, interview a lot of lawyers in regards to, uh, you know, prison campaigns um, back then, like the, the right to vote. Um, Vicky Roach was involved in that, I think. Mm-hmm. But it's not just Aboriginal people. Like I, It's all peoples that I interview. And, and I like to provide a safe environment for people that to, to come in that have been deprived of a voice. I do some disability work as well, but only topics that I'm interested in. I've been looking at First Nations people in the criminal justice system, um, or it, I do a lot of stuff around women and family violence um, mm. and migrants. Mm. You think things have improved? Not really. What is yes, this? Well, no, it has. I should... It's a really hard question to answer. Like, we could be here all day. Things have improved, but in some ways, no. Hmm. I think people really need to look at their history. I think there needs to be more stuff taught in schools. There's a, we've got a long way to go. Well, there is a long way to go. There's a lot of people involved, as you said, but it's, um, I think it's easier than it was 40, 50 years ago. People, oh, absolutely. People in terms of physical stuff, hmm. Hmm. you know, physical technology, there's a lot more technology. But then you've got, you've got under-resourced communities, Joe, and I'm not necessarily talking about just Aboriginal people. No. You, you've got a lot of under-resourced communities that don't have access to technology. I mean, I'll be honest with you, I don't even know how to use an iPhone. Yeah, right. I don't know how to do certain things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's because, um, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to afford the training. Well, it is. Now, can you tell us about the great luxury of a blind pension? 
Oh, I'd rather. I don't want to talk about that. I really don't. Joe, do you mind if we don't? No, I don't mind. But I, no, I, I, I'd, I'd I really think, rather not. Yeah, but I think people yeah. need, need need to understand that there is. Now, have I got this correct? Is, is it a pension which is irrespective of income, or is it income based? Look, generally speaking, mm-hmm. I think that people think, and this this really bleeds into what happens with welfare recipients Mm. as a whole, Mm. okay? So Mm. you know how they say, oh, yes, but First Nations people, they shouldn't be getting money? Yep. That happens also with with blind and vision-impaired people to an extent Mm -hmm. and the disability community because it's double standards. You know, on the one hand, they they want people to have support to work or to look for work, but there really isn't enough money in the pension. And it it isn't means-tested. That's very true. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't get taxed for it, but when you're 65, you you know you you go on to the aged pension. Um, but I, I think the fundamental thing to look at here is that the the blind pension is not the glorified um, wage that a lot of people seem to think it well, is. Well, that, that's what I wanted to highlight. Oh, I see. That's what I wanted to highlight. It's, it's yeah. the equivalent to the dole, or maybe a little bit more, yeah, but it's yeah. it's really not. Mm. You know it. A lot of blind and vision impaired people are very isolated. Yeah. And there's a lot of terrible... A lot of people have been educated. I'm not saying that. There are, there are a lot of university graduates who are blind and vision impaired. Mm. But what have they done with it? What, what sort of opportunities have they had? Yeah. You know? Because it was one of the first uh, social security benefits which was introduced in this country. And people worked very hard for that. That's exactly right. It didn't you come know, out of nowhere. You know, there were a lot of protests. You'd know all about that. Yeah, they didn't come out of nowhere, and that's what people need to understand. Yeah. I wasn't going to be interviewed today. I was going to cancel, actually. Why was that? I didn't want to do it, because I, I thought to myself, you know what, um, I didn't really want listeners knowing about me, but... Well, but it's okay. Look, it's not a secret. Well, we're not talking about you, really. No, that's right. It's we're not just, really about me. You know, we're talking about you, all right? <laughs> In the third person. <laughs> yeah, but it's okay. I won't do it all the time, though. Well, you're not going to get another invitation, you know. I mean, if, Good. If, if you've been on here twice in the last seven that's years. Enough. That's because you're a legend. Although right? this is a better interview. I think this is a better interview than the last one. Well, I've actually learned I, something over the I years. I didn't like it. No, I, mean, I can understand you not wanting to come back, you know. I was, I was green <laughs> in those days, you know. No, no, it's all good. It's all good. Now, you've been around a long time. You've done a lot of things and you're still doing a lot of things and that's the I important am. thing. Have you got any advice if, if by some chance we've got a listener under 40? Under what, sorry? Under 40. Just in case somebody under 40 is listening to Radical Australia and, you know, they're kind of at a loss, you know? They're that, that type of person who's wanted to do things but's never got round to it. You know, they're part of the Gunner tribe or the somebody should do something about that tribe and they're listening to your interview and they're excited by what you have been able to achieve. Do you have any well, advice for them? Depending on what their interests are, they they, they need to just get out there and do it. <laughs> and listen, listen to three CR. <laughs> get out there and do it. <laughs> just do it. Just do it. You still in there? <laughs> yeah. Don't have a fear of failure. Just get out there and do it because life's short. Well, it is. Does religion play a part in your life? No. None at all. No. Although no. I wouldn't. I'm not an atheist either. So what are you? Uh, I'm. I'm not just an 
I'm not just I don't just have anarchist principles. I do have my own private beliefs um, in right. regards to regards to spirituality. Mm-hmm. And um, I've, I've I've done a lot of studied a lot of pagan literature. Mm. So yeah. So tell us about what what is spirituality. Well, it depends. It's different for everybody. Mm-hmm. But spirituality to me is is living with the earth and trying to help our earth and, and also being able to... I like to grow vegetables. I like to drink um, herbal teas. I'm actually a, a qualified herbalist. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, spirituality is, is helping other people and, and living with the earth. Oh, well, we are. I mean, people forget the earth is a self, earth. self-contained, you know. Although I, th- I think it's over, to be honest. You really think it's over? I think it's over. Look, mm. look at all the floods. Look at all the floods that, that are happening, the, mm, I don't think the it's pandemic. Over. No, I we, look at we, we need to do something now. Oh, we do need to do something. But people it's tell urgent. me, people say, oh, the world's so violent. And I think to myself, when you, you know your history, this is a particularly peaceful period of human existence, you know, we've got. Uh, mm. So... Plans for the future? Well, plans for the future. Look, I want this pandemic to be over. Mm-hmm. It's. I'm not sure yet. I might. Who knows? I might even start a health food shop, or I might. Uh-huh. Um, well, there's a lot of room for that. Yeah, I want to develop my my skills in radio broadcasting more. Maybe uh-huh. study uh-huh. a bit more. Did you know that in 1891, at 213 Russell Street in the city, that the anarchists set up a three-storey vegetarian restaurant and bookstore and meeting room? Where? 213 Russell Street. No. In 1891. Well, you should join the 1st of May tour I'm doing about significant anarchist sites, the Melbourne Where CBD. Is it? 213. Oh, the the uh, tour will start off at. Uh, Chummy Place, named after Chummy Fleming in Carlton. Oh, yeah? Yeah, we're going to look, look about eight or nine. Oh, send me an email about it. Oh, we will, we will. Now, the most important question I've got to ask you in this whole interview, mm. what's the best herbal tea to drink? Well, the best herbal tea to drink, and particularly for the pandemic, to c- prevent coronavirus, mm. is peppermint elder, E-L-D-E-R, and yarrow. And they are really good herbs. They're immune boosters, and they help a lot with even helping the lung. I probably put a bit of mullein in it too. Right. I think it's spelled M U W L E I N. I actually recommended someone had COVID. Mm-hmm. Two people that I know, mm-hmm. and they, I, I said, some drink some mullein tea. You're going to vomit, but after that, <laughs> you'll feel better. <laughs> and my friend actually brought me flowers because she said to me, "Oh my God!" She said, "I can't believe how much more quickly we recovered." Well, that's excellent. So I have... And ginger. Ginger tea is really good too. Yeah, I think I'll drink the ginger tea. I don't want to vomit. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's only the mullein. And it's only if you're really sick. You're not sick. Like if you've got a cough and you've got a lot of phlegm. Right. Look, you need to go. I need to go. But I'd just like to say to you, you are la bella figura. You are the real bella figura. The bella figura that's inside you, the spirit. That's what you are. And it was a pleasure talking to you, Marissa. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Thank you so much.
Don't say goodbye My child And always Look behind you To that beautiful wild And all the things That remind you being free
a place where private business profit from a captive labour force, yet pennies are spent on medical services to a population in which the Indigenous, the poor and the mentally ill are overrepresented. Where isolation, humiliation and degradation are facts of life. Welcome to prison. It depends who's telling the story, I suppose. The prisoners would have one view, the people who work in the prison system would have another, and I think it's up to people to decide uh, where the truth is. Give government propaganda and the media spin doctors the flick. And check out Doin' Time for news, views and tunes on prison issues from Guantanamo Bay to Christmas Island to prisons and detention centres everywhere. Every Monday at 4pm on your community radio 3CR. We are still fired up and we're still talking about revolution. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.